the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710-KNUS. And what turned out to be a pretty busy week of radio for yours truly, and that I filled in for George Brockler from, uh, or on, on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And now we are back here for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710 K-N-U-S, great to be with you on a jam-packed program, lots to do, lots to discuss, lots of things to get your thoughts on. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. You can also text into the show on the 710-K-N-U-S app on your smartphone. You can tweet at me 24-7-365. I'm at Sang Center. That's Sang with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. You can also email me a couple of ways to do that. One is to go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page on the 710KNUS website at, you guessed it, 710KNUS.com. And you can email me via my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is E-Z. And again, that phone number, 303-696-1971. Looks like we've got a high of 53 today, so things have been getting a little bit warmer. That's been feeling nice. It'll be mostly cloudy as well as we get the day rolling along here coming up on the program in the next segment i caught up last night he wasn't able to come on this morning but said ah i could do a quick pre-record now with mike davis who you might have seen him on laura ingram's show a couple of nights ago he is the co-founder or rather the founder and the president of the article three project which as they say defends constitutionalist judges and the rule of law i started following mike davis literally following him on twitter and in general when he was involved in getting shepherding brett kavanaugh's nomination through the united states senate to the supreme court He is the former chief counsel for nominations to the Senate Judiciary Committee chairman, who was, at the time, Chuck Grassley. We will talk about the Biden classified documents scandal coming up in the next segment and get his take on that and some of the significant legal aspects to this. And I mean, it is just astonishing how just insane this really is let's be let's be real here it is insane to think about how you go from documents found at the at an office for the university of pennsylvania at a think tank in dc to being in his garage with his corvette and his library maybe there should be an emphasis on lie and library i don't know but just a little snippet of what he said this week. Well, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, 
people. And by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but anyway, in a yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. As I saw online, sounds like he really vetted his document security system, didn't he? Really vetted that next to the Corvette. Where are the pictures of Biden's classified documents discovered sprawled out on the front hood of his Corvette? Where are they? Where are those images? Like was the case where the media salivated at being able to share pictures of documents obtained by the FBI through a subpoena at Mar-a-Lago. Why, why are these not laid out somewhere? Oh, I guess the excuse is he just he turned them over within 24 hours of discovering those documents, discovering them, what, six, seven years after leaving office as vice president? We'll dive into this more with Mike Davis coming up in the next segment right here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Also coming up later on, in the program, we'll be joined by Alec Hanna, who is a Colorado-based Republican campaign consultant and the founder of Dark Horse Campaigns, who previously served as a director for former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. And he wrote a piece that was near and dear to my heart entitled, this was for Colorado politics, Where Are the College Republicans? And specifically, he moved to Colorado And notice that only two campuses have college Republicans. What's going on there? He was wondering. It's an important topic to me as somebody who led college Republicans at my university campus. When I was at Regis University, I led the CRs through most of my three years at Regis from 2008 to 2011. I was a student and second semester as a freshman, I took over the college Republicans. And we did a lot in that campus at that time um, in terms of some interesting presentations. Mike Rosen came and spoke to an event we held. We also had Dr. Tofi Kamid, an ex-jihadist, who came and talked about the threat of radical Islam and, and his take as a ex-jihadist. And it was that was quite an interesting event. But I digress. I was involved in college Republicans for a few years is the point. I think it's such an important organization. And, well, the question is, where are they in Colorado? We will talk with Alec Hanna about that. Plus, you remember this one? Hi, I'm Scott the Beta King. That one. Well, there is, at long last, going to be a History of the World Part 2 In a multi-part series for Hulu, the legendary Mel Brooks comedy that came out in the early 1980s is now finally getting its sequel. But here's the question. I'll play the promo teaser for the new multi-part series coming to Hulu. And you'll get a vibe for what they're going for with this new one. And I want to ask you the question... Could History of the World Part 1, the original, and other Mel Brooks movies be made today? We'll discuss that topic coming up. Plus, Leslie Harrod, running for mayor, state representative, far left. She lawyered up 
with the lead counsel for the Lincoln Project, by the way, and has been harassing, bullying a Denver citizens group. When I filled in for George on Monday, I spoke with Craig Arfston, who is the co-founder and president of Citizens for a Safe and Clean Denver. Well, yesterday's column in the Denver Gazette breaks down this very important story entitled, the headline of the piece is, Herod Lawyers Up Harasses Denver Citizens Group. You can find my column pinned as my pinned tweet at saying center on Twitter. That's saying with an E, not an A, center on Twitter. And also it is my pinned Facebook post at facebook.com slash Jimmy Sangenberger Pro or search on Facebook Jimmy Sangenberger Media Personality. Remember, all E's all the time in Sangenberger. But indeed, former Republican operative and election lawyer Mario Nicholas who is the lead counsel for the Lincoln Project, was hired by Leslie Herod to target a small citizens group with a campaign finance complaint, getting them a fine that is five times larger than what she had to pay for failing to disclose her own personal financial disclosures document, to to file that document in time over a 10-month period. Now, she racked up an original fine of $15,200 that got a waiver down to $50. Citizens for Safe and Clean Denver got a $250 fine. So the powerful, influential politician, when delinquent on filing a document and racked up a $15,200 fine that got reduced to $50, and she targets a small citizens group with a newsletter of like 1,000 people on it and ended up getting them fined $250. What's going on here? We will dive into that coming up later on in the program. So much to do today. Of course, our telephone number, 303-696-1971. But I want to begin this morning, and we got to do this a, a good chunk of the show, a segment on Thursday, Bill Thorpe and I, when I filled in for George, but we lost this week on January 10th, Jeff Beck, the blues rock innovator, legendary guitarist. For me, my very first concert I ever saw, Johnny Lang opened for Jeff Beck. And it was my first concert. It was in New Jersey. We were living there at the time, and I was all of seven years old, which helps you get an indication as to the kind of music I grew up listening to from my parents, which can lead to the best bumper music known to man. Now, of course, uh, seven-year-old Jimmy found Jeff Beck too loud, and in all his kindness, my dad let us leave early, which, look, in, in my defense, I was seven and who knows? I mean, if you've ever seen Jeff Beck, he's loud. He was loud with good reason. I would then go back, though, also in my defense, with my dad as a teenager and as an adult to see Jeff Beck on two separate subsequent occasions. So don't beat on seven-year-old Jimmy too hard for making dad take us home when it was too loud because we did go back, including one time at Fiddler's Green where Jeff Beck followed 
Buddy Guy, and it was an awesome show. This was 2015 or 2016, and he brought out the guy I had seen at Blues from the Top Festival a few times, who's an amazing harmonica player, multi-instrumentalist, really, got a tremendous voice. A guy by the name of Jimmy Hall is Jimmy Hall, y'all. And we're going to go out here in this segment to a couple minutes of a song that they performed brilliantly at the Fiddler's show. This isn't from the Fiddler's show, but it's from that tour. And it is a change is going to come. And God willing, here in Colorado, a change is going to come with each and every one of us standing up, doing our part, trying to make a difference. Jeff Beck was a tremendously influential musician, respected across the board. He did so much in terms of contributions and in terms of building respect and admiration from other musicians whom he would work with. He never sang, like Carlos Santana, for example, doesn't sing. He would have others that would come in and do vocals. But his guitar work was like singing. Of course, he rose to prominence initially as a member of the Yardbirds. Eric Clapton left the band, recommended Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page says, eh, I'm not too keen on it. But this guy, Jeff Beck, you should bring him in. So they do. And the rest is history. And eventually there's a point when Jimmy Page joins the band and then you have quite a powerhouse with both Beck and Page. And I should clarify, Page initially joined as a bass player. When he moved to lead guitar, that's when you really had a lot of powerhouse music between Beck and Page. But may Jeff Beck, the age who passed away at the age of 78, rest in peace. He passed away, by the way, of bacterial meningitis. What a guitarist, guitarist and one of the most influential lead guitarists in rock, and, I will add, absolutely influential blues player. At his heart and soul, he was a blues man. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're listening to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Let's go out. Jeff Beck with Jimmy Hall, y'all. A change is going to come.
From their 1989 Fire and Fury tour, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jeff Beck together. What a powerhouse. You, maybe you saw him at Fire and Fury. My dad did, and I sure am jealous, I got to say. Welcome back. Jimmy Sangenberger Show, best damn bumper music known to man. Joe Biden this week, we found new classified documents suddenly discovered. Next is Corvette in the garage and in, I think, his library at home. Second and third batches after being discovered at the University of Delaware's Penn Center in D.C. Last night I caught up with Mike Davis and got his analysis. He was on Laura Ingram's show just a few days ago. Take a listen to that interview recorded last night. What are we to make of all this? Let's break it down with Mike Davis. He is the former chief counsel for nominations to the Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley and founder and president of the Article 3 Project. He joins me now. Mike, welcome to the program. It's good to talk with you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Before we get into the topic of conversation, tell us a little bit about the Article 3 project. I'm sensing that has something to do with the judiciary. It does. So I started the Article 3 project when I left the Senate Judiciary Committee back in 2019 uh, to continue uh, the judicial fight for President Trump's judicial nominees from the outside, uh, fight to get these judges confirmed, defend the judges, once they get to the bench, they have lifetime tenure, they have pay protection, but they're still human beings. And uh, I, I want to be able to defend them when they have to make tough rulings that are correct, but maybe not politically popular, and then de- defend the rule of law and judicial independence. And so 
That was our focus for the last two years of the Trump administration. Now our focus is to hold the Biden Justice Department and the and the, the, the the broader Biden legal apparatus accountable for their actions and to oppose judicial nominees that are outside of the judicial mainstream mm. uh, and uh, don't have bipartisan support. Yeah, you first came on my radar screen during the nomination process for Justice Brett Kavanaugh and the way that everybody who was advancing the nomination handled that, including President Trump and Mitch McConnell, uh, was excellent. We got it through. You got it done. And that was good to see. And now we have the Supreme Court that we've got as a result. So let's dive in. Of course, we have the Trump documents last year and then now. This week, we learned that Biden had classified documents in his University of Pennsylvania office, a disused office there. And then a few days later, documents show up in his garage and another part of his house before we get to special counsel, some of the legal implications. What do you make of this whole thing? Because something really is odd here. Well, I've been saying this for five months now since they, the Biden Justice Department Attorney General Merrick Garland's and the Biden Justice Department uh, ordered an unnecessary, unlawful, and unprecedented home raid on a former president when they went to Mar-a-Lago to get back these documents. Uh, presidents have the absolute constitutional right under the Commander-in-Chief Clause and the statutory right under the Presidential Records Act to take uh, personal copies of their presidential records when they leave office, and that includes classified or unclassified. And Congress gives former presidents uh, federally funded office space, federally funded secure office space or skips to look at classified material, federally funded staff. The staff gets security clearances. The former president gets secret service protection for life. So there's no, there's no question that Congress understands that former presidents are going to have classified records uh, in the office of former president, like President Trump did in Mar-a-Lago. He declassified these records when he left, before he left, but even if he had classified records, it's specifically allowed under the Presidential Records Act. Contempl- uh, c- contrast that with Vice President uh, Joe Biden. Vice presidents do not have any of those powers to take presidential records. Uh, Joe Biden, as the outgoing uh, vice president, had no right to take President Obama's presidential records, particularly not classified records. And President Biden, it looks like, stole these records, stole these classified records, stole government property, and he had them in three locations you discussed. He had them in uh, this office uh, near Capitol Hill at 101 Constitution Avenue Northwest, the Penn Biden Center. The Penn Biden Center was funded in part by a giant $55 million grant from the Chinese government. And uh, that office was not secured by the Secret Service after Biden left the vice presidency. Until Biden was well along to getting the nomination, he did not have Secret Service protection. He didn't have Secret Service protection for many years during this time. And then you also have to look that he had, uh, he had these classified records at his home in Delaware. And he had these classified records uh, uh, in, in the garage in Delaware next to his Corvette. And then he had these classified records in another room adjacent to the garage. So these are classified records in three different places. And I will also say 
this wasn't an accident like he's trying to play out because you have to remember he left the White House on January 20th, 2017. He didn't move into the Penn Biden Center at 101 Constitution Avenue until February of 2018. So that means he had to have moved these documents at least twice, once before he left the White House and once again when he moved into the Penn Biden Center. So it's just, again, not credible that he didn't know what these documents are, particularly when he had these documents at the Penn Biden Center in his personal files. So this is very serious what President Biden has done, former Vice President at the time has done, uh, it's a clear violation of the Espionage Act to have these classified records. It's also theft of government property. These are the two of the three crimes that they're investigating Trump for when he had the absolute right as commander in chief and under the Presidential Records Act to mm-hmm. take his records to Mar-a-Lago. I want to explore the President Trump situation in a moment a little bit more and the as you're describing it right of the president. But in terms of Biden, how could you be surprised suddenly in your own office, Mr. Former Vice President, and in your home in two places, including your garage, which must be really secured because you've got your Corvette in there? How do you not know that those documents are there? And also, how in the world did those attorneys of his know to search his garage and other parts of his house to find those documents and then say, oh, look, we happen to find these now and we're turning them over to the Justice Department within 24 hours after finding them. Or in the case of November 2nd, we only heard about it earlier this week with CBS News's original reporting, but it happened six days before the election. Yet he says, oh, well, we returned it within 24 hours. Yeah, it's it's a political cover-up. What Attorney General Merrick Garland done, has done here is a complete political cover-up. He, they found out about these documents no later than November 2nd. The midterm election is six days later. They kept it under wraps for two months. And during this time, when Attorney General Merrick Garland should have immediately appointed a special counsel because there is smoking gun evidence that his boss – Joe Biden uh, violated the Espionage Act by having these classified records um, in his office. Uh, Instead of appointing a special counsel immediately for Biden, he waits like 16 days until November 18th, and he appoints a special counsel. But guess who it's for? President Trump. I mean, it's just unbelievable what Attorney General Merrick Garland has done here. This, this, uh, these, this gets out that they have these documents, and so then Attorney General Merrick Garland scrambles two months later to appoint this U.S. attorney in Illinois to take over the matter. Well, the problem is, is that U.S. attorney, they say he, say he was a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney. I'll tell you, as the person who helps uh, uh, confirm these U.S. attorneys when I was in the Senate Judiciary Committee, that was Dick Durbin's pick for U.S. attorney. So then Garland had to scramble and pick this Rob Herr as the special counsel to investigate this matter. But you have to you have to ask yourself, why were President Biden's high priced private sector attorneys going through his empty or his abandoned office essentially at Penn Biden, his home in Delaware in his beach home in Delaware. And I'll tell you my theory is uh, they didn't just happen to uh, go on a hunt for classified documents. I suspect that these lawyers were uh, doing a search for documents in response to a different request for documents, maybe a a different uh, subpoena that was issued in a different Mm. matter. 
may, maybe the tax matter with Hunter Biden up in Delaware, maybe the uh, money laundering matter up there. Who knows? But it's just it's look, they, they were saying that they were helping Biden move out of his Penn Biden office. OK, well, were they helping him? Were they also helping Biden move out of his beach house that he's not moving out of? Were they helping him move mm. out of his Delaware house that he's not moving out of? Again, we're talking with Mike Davis, founder and president of the Article 3 Project. Uh, what do you know, what can you tell us about Robert Herr? And to the extent a special counsel is valuable in the Biden circumstance, is he a trustworthy person? What do you know about him? To be determined. Um, he's very smart. He went to Harvard for undergrad. He went to Stanford for law school. He clerked for the uh, chief justice, uh, William Rehnquist, on the Supreme Court. Uh, my concern with um, with Robert Hur is he has been so tied to now FBI Director Chris Ray, Rod Rosenstein, uh, James Comey. He's been a lawyer for the deep state uh, going back uh, 20 years. He started working for Chris Ray when Chris Ray ran the criminal division at the, at the Justice Department. Hur uh, joined him back in 2003. Chris Ray's boss from 2001 to 2005 was James Comey, who everyone knows is a political slime ball. Uh, yep. At that time, back in 2001 to 2005, they met Rod Rosenstein, who was in the tax division at Maine Justice. They're all political appointees back then from Bush 43. Um, her went to work for Chris Ray in the in private practice, and then Rod Rosenstein recruited him to be a federal prosecutor in Maryland when Rod Rosenstein was the one of only 93 U.S. attorneys from Bush 43, who President Obama kept for all eight years of the Obama presidency, one of 93. And then uh, her went to be a law partner with Chris Reagan at the same firm. And then when Rod Rosenstein became the deputy attorney general at the beginning of the Trump administration, which I can't believe Trump hired him, but uh, uh, he was so Rod Rosenstein was the number two at the Department of Justice. Chris Reagan was the FBI director reporting to Rod Rosenstein uh, this uh, Rob Herr was the number two to Rod, to Rod Rosenstein. So the number two to, to the number two. And it was in this position that, uh, that Rob managed, he was supposed to be managing for Rod Rosenstein, the Russian collusion hoax. And so you have to step back and ask, did Rob Herr know that this was a hoax? And so he got duped or was he in on it? Uh, and either one of those scenarios is not good sure. for Rob Hur and his judgment. Do you agree with the appointment of the special counsel, especially given that we had one appointed for the former president, Donald Trump, and now you have one for the current president? It, it did seem like it was almost inevitable that Garland might make this decision, especially to avoid any sort of direct responsibility or to try and avoid direct responsibility for the investigation and what might come of it. Yeah, he, I, there's no question the attorney general had to appoint a special counsel here. What my concern is, is he was so quick to pick this Rob Herr and like I said, Rob Herr has been part of the legal team for the deep state for 20 years. And he's tied into these, uh, you know, so-called Bush and Trump appointees who have been out to get Trump from day one. So that's my concern here is there's a uniparty in D.C. There's a swamp in D.C. Uh, it's incestuous. And I'm, I look, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now. My, you know, I my. 
I my my alarm bells are going off, but I'm going to try to be fair and hope that he is mm-hmm. impartial and fair sure. and does the right thing here. Once again, Mike Davis, our guest from the Article 3 Project. Finally, I want to explore a little bit more, as you were talking about at the top, Mike, the authority of the president when it comes to keeping documents, especially after leaving office when you are no longer president of the United States, especially given that it doesn't seem like there is any, at least from what I've seen, any written record as to what happened with the documents that ended up, say, at Mar-a-Lago, how they got from point A to point B, President Trump making any sort of decisions. Um, there there has been a perception, and certainly one that the media has highlighted, of sort of a loosey-goosiness, if you will, of Donald Trump and how the former president has handled these documents before. Talk to us a little bit more about that. What's your understanding of any sort of tracking that should be happening, what the president's authority is? Just expand on that a bit, please. So the president, as I said, as the commander in chief, has the absolute constitutional power to declassify and classify anything he wants. And so he doesn't have to get anyone's permission. He doesn't have to jump through any statutory hoops. He doesn't have to jump through any regulatory hoops. He's the only person on the planet who has this power. And that is confirmed by a Supreme Court case. And I think it was 1987 or 1988 called Department of the Navy versus East. And that's just very clear. Everyone else in the government, including the vice president, has to follow these rules and regulations. The president does not. And so if the president wants to declassify something, he can declassify it. And we saw this in a couple instances with uh, with Democrats, with, with President Clinton. When he left the White House, he had eight years of highly classified audio recordings of his presidency in his soccer. It was like 40 hours of recordings and it was with his you know secretary of state secretary of defense foreign leaders obviously some of the most classified materials you can imagine and tom fitton and judicial watch sued to get these audio recordings uh back from president clinton and sent to the national archives and archived and go through that process and this uh clinton excuse me this obama appointed judge in D.C. correctly held that under the Presidential Records Act, it is the President of the United States who decides whether records are presidential records. They go to the archives, they get cataloged, and then almost certainly sent back to the former president to put in his library, or their personal records that belong to the president. And the mere act of the president taking records with him out of the White House when he leaves office makes them personal records, and it does not matter whether they're classified or not. So that's what happened with Bill Clinton when he got mm. caught with eight years of audio recordings in his sock drawer. And same thing with President Trump. Trump actually has declassification memos on the, the Mueller probe, crossfire hurricane. He actually has those. But any documents that he takes with him to Mar-a-Lago, first of all, as we talked about, under the Presidential Records Act, he's allowed to take any of his presidential records he wants, classified or not. He declassified mm. them through memo and by taking them, just like President Clinton did. He actually did more because he had a memo on some of them. And uh, he was absolutely within his rights to have these records. If you look at the the, uh, the warrant for the unprecedented home raid, they went to this biased magistrate judge down in Florida, Bruce Reinhardt, who had to recuse on Trump's case against Hillary Clinton because he's so anti-Trump. And then he turned around like six weeks later and, and issued this unnecessary, unprecedented, unlawful home raid. If you look at the predicate mm. crimes that the Justice Department is looking at, they don't even mention the Presidential Records Act. They use a general 
government's document statute to go uh, to go get this warrant, this home raid. It's just not applicable. The Presidential Records Act applies and gives the president mm. these powers. That that does not apply to Biden. He absolutely stole these classified records. They were Obama's presidential records. Biden stole them. And it's not just that he stole them. It was he, he put our national security at risk because, remember, there is smoking gun evidence that Biden, his son Hunter, and his brother James were on the payrolls of Chinese and Ukrainian oligarchs. There's evidence in Miranda Devine's book, uh, Laptop from Hell, mm-hmm. that Hunter had keys made for a Chinese agent who was working with them to ac- access these offices. This is very damning, and the FBI needs to investigate mm-hmm. uh, Hunter, Joe, Jill, this this agent, uh, James, the, the, the Joe's brother. They need to investigate and interview everyone who had access to these documents as part of their intel assessment. Sure. And we also need to know the timing. When did when did the when did the Biden lawyers find these documents? When did they turn them over to the to the Department of Justice? Why did Merrick Garland wait two months to release them? Why did he go after Trump with a special counsel when he had this uh, damning evidence that his boss Biden uh, clearly violated the espionage yeah. act? There are a lot of questions that need answered. They are indeed. Uh, there are indeed. And Mike Davis, I'm glad I asked you what I asked you, because that was the best explanation that I've heard on the Presidential Records Act and documents classified or declassified to date. So I appreciate it and appreciate you taking the time to join us again. Founder and president of the Article three project, Mike Davis. Thanks so much for joining us on the Jimmy Sangenberger show. Thank you for having me on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We will be back on the other side. You're listening to News Talk 710 KNUS, Denver's local talk leader. Very tight here on this segment. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. Our telephone number 303-696-1971. What'd you make of that conversation with Mike Davis. I found it very interesting. So did you, judging by a couple of the texts that came in, including this one from Alexa. Biden has spent 280 days of his presidency on vacation. In 2022, Biden had 146 days of vacation. Most of his vacations were spent in Wilmington, Delaware, where they are, there are not any visitor logs and where Hunter has access to the garage and the Corvette. Very concerning that we don't know who has been in Biden's Wilmington home in the last two years where classified records were just laying around in the garage. P.S. really appreciated Mike Davis's explanation of the Presidential Records Act in Tom Fitton suing regarding President Clinton taking those tapes. Yes, that's where I found it particularly interesting and uh, shared and explained in a way that I hadn't heard before was a couple of those references that helped to make it uh, more understandable and pointed. So uh, I appreciate, again, Mike Davis joining us on the program. When we come back, what are your thoughts on this? 303-696-1971. You can text into the show. We will talk with Alec Hanna, Republican strategist, about, well, where are the college Republicans? We'll be back. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.